Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. This is chapter 24 called What's in a Name? Some dude from England once said, A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I forget what band he was in. He was absolutely correct when it comes to horticulture, but when it comes to the music business and marquee value, the line would have to be amended, A band by any other name don't make as much damn money. Names in the music industry are valuable and legally protected trademarks. If a band works hard to obtain success and notoriety, their trademark is the thing that makes people want to buy the next album or concert ticket. There are managers and lawyers who recognize this very well and who tirelessly toil to procure and protect these naming rights. This can be done with varying degrees of integrity since it's all about the bottom line. Marquee value equals money. Let's say, for instance, that four young women attended, attending high school in Passaic, New Jersey, entered their high school talent show as a doo-wop singing quartet called the Pequellos. Let's say they win that talent show with a song that they wrote just for the show. Let's say that one of their classmates' moms is a Jersey housewife with aspirations to be in the music business. Let's further imagine that this housewife signs the high school girls to her record label that she runs out of her house. The housewife changes the name of the group from their talent show billing to a name that uses the first name of the lead singer. Continue imagining this fairy tale, if you will, to its logical conclusion. The group goes on to have the very first Billboard number one hit by any girl group and seven top 20 charting hits. They sell millions of records worldwide. Millions. This was no fantasy. That group formed in 1958 and was called the Shirelles. Their lead singer, whom the band was named after, was Shirley Alston Reeves. It was all peaches and creams, cream until it wasn't. Shirley left the group in 1975 to pursue a solo career according to the Wikipedia page. I don't know exactly what happened, I wasn't there. She may have departed the group, uh, also out of maternity leave, but whatever happened created enough of an environment whereby the other remaining members of the group were able to legally take over the trademark Shirelles. Shirley can't use that name to this day. Her full legal billing is Shirley Alston Reeves, original lead singer of the world famous Shirelles. The word Shirelles has to be in 10 points smaller in typeface than her, her name or she runs the risk of being sued. Many times she's been served cease and desist papers on the road when an ambitious or possibly under-informed concert promoter has incorrectly advertised a show. I wasn't present for any of the group history. When I was on the road with her, we had instances where we showed up in the van to gigs where it said Shirelles on the marquee or on a backdrop behind the stage. Understandably, this was very upsetting to Shirley. Her contract was very explicit about her billing. She would have to refuse to perform unless the sign was changed or taken down or run the risk of yet another court appearance. If it had been an incorrectly worded newspaper ad that was too late to retract, she would usually go ahead with the show unless legal papers showed up, which I understood they sometimes did. Even if they didn't, she would be worried the whole time. It's a stressful and unsavory situation for her. <clears throat> it's based on lawyers trying to make money on some bad blood that goes back almost 60 years to a couple of girls in high school. I can understand both sides of the argument, but it still makes me shake my head sadly thinking about it. I have toured with Shirley on and off for over 27 years. I love her dearly. She is exactly the same age as my late mother would have been. I think of, think of her almost as a surrogate parent. 
It's upsetting to see that she is legally prevented from doing business under the group banner that is derived from her name, singing the songs that she made world famous. She doesn't like to talk about it, but that's the situation. If you look at the list of credits on my resume, you will see the Shirelles listed. This is not out of any sense of righteous indignation on Shirley's behalf, although I certainly possess that. This is merely a reflection of the fact that on exactly one occasion in the late 1990s, I backed up Ms. Doris Jackson on a show playing all of the Shirelles hits. On the original records, Ms. Doris sang lead on only one of their many hits dedicated to the one I love. Ms. Doris, who is now deceased, was one of the two surviving original members of the Shirelles who had rights to use the name. So technically, I played with the Shirelles once, even though I have done hundreds of shows playing all of their hits with their original lead singer. In the 1990s, I was starting to gain a tiny amount of traction in the classic rhythm and blues and oldies rock and roll music markets as a sideman for hire. I started working with many groups, including, but not limited to, the Coasters, the Drifters, the Platters, the Marvelettes, and the Shangri-Las. I mentioned these groups specifically because all of them were doing business as trademarks owned by a couple of music promoters who had no connection to any original members in any of them. I don't know all of the legal machinations that made this possible, though I suspect that if someone owns a trademark like Kodak or Jell-O, that this person is also technically at liberty to sell this trademark to the highest bidder, even if the inventor of the camera or, or of sweet rubbery desserts has retired from the industry. This is what apparently happened with all of those music trademarks I've just mentioned as well. They were sold or licensed to other people to administer. Gene Simmons of KISS envisions a day when he and Paul Stanley will retire from their band. They're already in their 60s and 70s. Gene assumes that the trademark, the songs, the makeup, and the costumes will have a life far into the future. That's fine if that's your corporate credo, but I'm not sure that singers and musicians who got famous in their high school band were thinking that far ahead. One of these management companies that owns several trademarks would try to book package shows of its artists whenever possible. I played many double and triple bills of varying combinations of drifters, platters, coasters, and marvelettes. The pay rate for a sideman would be $125 for backing the first act, no matter where the gig was, New York City or an eight-hour drive to Pittsburgh. You got an extra $25 for each additional act. A triple bill meant $175 for a three-hour concert. Good times. Furthermore, if the owners of the Coaster's trademark, for instance, had multiple bookings on the same night, they could put out any four cats in matching suits and call them the Coasters. I know this because I backed up a lot of B-team and C-team coasters and drifters and platters and. By the time they called me to play bass as a sub, it meant that they might already be on the second or third version of the group for the night. I have all of these groups listed on my resume as well for a couple of reasons. Although I haven't necessarily played with any of their original members, I have played their music faithfully under a legal marquee bearing the name. Even if they were actually just tribute bands, they still had a fair use of the trademark. As a sideman for hire, I take these credits. In the case of the Drifters specifically, in addition to having done many trademark Drifters shows, I've also played many times with original members, Benny King and Charlie Thomas. Even though Benny and Charlie shows weren't billed as Drifters shows, we played many of the same songs. It just makes me feel like I have more of a philosophical and moral right to claim that I have indeed played with the Drifters. 
the company that owned the drifter's trademark during this time i speak of at one point inserted inserted former drifter rick shepherd into their bookings to legitimize challenges to their trademark rick was a late season replacement in the drifters in 1966 he sang on none of the group's top 40 charting hits and sang lead on nothing i didn't really get to know him that well i only did a couple of shows with him he seemed to enjoy his own company a lot though our old friend Bowser spearheaded legislative battles to get laws enacted to, pre to prevent groups from using trademarks if they have zero original members present. It's called the Truth in Music Bill and is passed in a bunch of states. Subsequently, these trademark gigs have dried up for me, but I'm okay with that.